I've been working on the railroad. <laughs> I don't even know if that's Craig David, is it? Yeah, now they can shoot. Do you have a better idea? I'm all ears, but not eyes. <laughs> oh. Well, I'll be Umberto Upper in that, that case and say that. <laughs> Allora, ma che cosa Umberto? This podcast may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The Walking Dead, Season 11, Episode 21, Outpost 22. Names have no meaning here. I'm not going to tell you mine, and I don't want you to use each other's. Only kidding, that would just be far too confusing. I'm Adam Hemming, and I'm joined by Chloe Wade. Do you want to die quick, or do you want to die screaming? Oh, choices. Also with us is Neil Shepek. World works when everyone knows their place. Your place is at the bottom. Yeah, and I'm fully aware of that. And finally, also with us is Damien Cooper. I'm with you for now. Okay, might you be going somewhere else later on? Or Right, cracking episode. Any first thoughts, anything you want to cover before we dive into it? I didn't think it was a cracking episode. There's a new Debbie Downer in town, there must be. Dear mom coming for your title. Yeah, I was just a bit underwhelmed by this episode, to be honest, but I'm excited to hear what you guys thought of it when we do delve in. Don't step on my Debbie Downer shoes. I also wasn't the biggest fan of this episode either. Good. Yeah, I mean, I, I still love the series and I love where it's going, but this felt a little bit like a setup episode or a filler episode. I'd have liked to have been shocked or entertained more. Well, I'll be Umberto Upper in that, that case and say that. <laughs> allora, ma che cosa Umberto? <laughs> there were certainly moments within this episode that I really, really enjoyed. Let's dive into it then. So we get our Judith intro, as ever, this season. So much we've done, so much more to do. Very much focusing on Maggie's journey. And she talks about there being hope and togetherness, which I think does start to come through in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a reminder that they're at the strongest, really, when they're at rock bottom and when they have nothing. That's when they come together because all they have literally at that point is each other. We've seen it in Terminus and, and the prison and Saviors, Whisperers, and now it's time for the Commonwealth. Yeah, it actually slightly reminded me of the pandemic, where communities and neighbours were all coming together to look after the vulnerable, you know, d- during that time when we were all, I guess, at risk. Yeah. So we open the episode proper with Maggie in a truck. There's a trooper sleeping. I wonder whether he just injected himself because he knew it was going to be a long journey. (laughs) I've done that before. (laughs) Maggie's having flashbacks to Herschel being taken from her, but she manages to escape from her bonds and wakes up Father Gabe, who's also in the truck. And we see there's a convoy in there. They are in the last truck. Yeah, and what I really noticed more than anything about that scene was the fact that there wasn't really any dialogue in it. I think for about three minutes... It was just the occasional grunt or groan, but really there was no dialogue there at all. And um, I just thought that was really powerful and I was kind of involved in that. Really lucky that the Commonwealth soldiers are so stupidly rubbish at their job. Why would he be asleep? Indeed, it is because they're stormtroopers, you're right, Neil. It's just the gentle rocking of the truck has sent him to see. He's got three of the most dangerous ones. I mean, Father Gabe doesn't know how to die. 
So I have a lot of problems with this opening, I have to say. You mentioned three. Rosita's in there as well, and they managed to get free. And her and Gabriel jump out of the back of the truck. But before Maggie can jump out, the trooper wakes up and they have a little bit of a tussle. He starts shooting and kills the driver so the truck crashes. It's a pretty gruesome driver in the front seat by the end of that sequence. Mm, cherry pie. I was eating it at the time as well. Um, honest to God, I was eating a cherry pie and I was like, whoa. Did you say something for me? <laughs> Luckily, out of all of this, Maggie comes away pretty unscathed after the truck crashes into a tree. <laughs> and, well, uh, there's a trooper who's been thrown from the front, I pre presume was in the, the, the front of the truck and has been thrown from that and is upside down in a tree and a couple of bikes loop back. So she has to make a runner. I mean, for fuck's sake, really? And no one else seems to survive that crash. But she just dusts it off and is able to then go running off into the woods. That is some phenomenal plot armour she has. Definitely. Then we're into the opening credits. Not much to, again, we've covered this already, but it feels to me like they are adding more walkers to the, the gates of Alexandria. Certainly in that bit, each episode, it feels like they're adding more. I might just be making that up. But then we come back to Father Gabriel and Rosita. They're both unconscious. So presumably they've rolled out of the truck, staggered into the woods and then fallen asleep because they weren't properly over the drugs or whatever. But they're both unconscious. And then a, there's a, a walker trooper approaching. I want to ask the sort of theories of Rosita dying because this moment of her struggling backwards was in some of the trailers and the teasers of the season. So is this the thing that led the credence to the fact that Rosita dies? In the series trailer, there are shots of Rosita desperately trying to climb upwards with walkers underneath her, and we've not seen that yet. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm expecting at some point that's going to happen, and maybe she'll survive. I think it's Gabe whose hand goes out to try and help her. But, I mean, who knows when that'll happen. They've really started setting that up, haven't they? That Rosita is basically after Coco. She's going to do whatever. I mean, we see it in this episode that she's literally going to risk everything for Coco. And I think I can't see her making it to the end of the show. Well, she makes it through this scene and Gabriel distracts the walker. They haven't got any weapons. Again, it's kind of that thing of they've always had weapons on them, haven't they? So them having to sort of deal with walkers when they don't have weapons adds a little bit of jeopardy there. But Gabriel distracts the walker and Rosita grabs his sword from his belt and dispatches with him. They have this conversation. He asks her how she is and she says she's been better. And she asks how he is and he says he's been worse. And it kind of sums up their attitude a little bit, that kind of mm. glass half full or empty situation. There's a point, I think it's speech scene, but Maggie sees when she's in the wilderness, a child walker. And that reminded me a lot of the very first episode when that's how Rick realises that there's walkers. Very much added into her thoughts about Herschel being taken and what might possibly happen to him. I'm going to suggest we stick with Maggie, Gabriel, Rosita and Daryl and Carol's story and then we, then we loop back on the... Ezekiel Negan Kelly story but yeah you're right we get this moment of Maggie and the child zombie she gets, she's getting more flashbacks to Herschel she considers killing the child zombie with a with a rock but she decides no she's going to walk away and she has this moment where she's walking off 
and obviously the the child walker is following her and she's just like stop following me kid i'm not your mum <laughs> he had this really similar jacket to herschel jr as well so when i first saw it i was a bit like is it could it possibly be is this the same child that we've seen before in Alexandria that Judith was trying to get the kids to stop taunting because I definitely recognized this child walker I think did anyone else pick up on that no I didn't I didn't think it was a kid we'd seen before but maybe okay. it could well be yeah they're close to Alexandria that's where they're heading so yeah I think if it was they would have signposted it more Maybe, yeah. Maybe it was the fact that it was linking back to Herschel Jr. It just looked, he looked so similar from a distance, like I say, a similar jacket and everything. But yeah, poor Maggie. It's a pretty horrific episode for her. Yeah, she's not in a good place, is she? Rosita wants to follow the convoy. Gabriel's kind of arguing, but really, what other thing is he planning on doing? There's no other option really for them he kills a couple of walkers and then rosita's arm is dislocated so they need to rest my issue with this scene is how these two walkers suddenly appear out of nowhere i call bullshit on that one of them steps in front of father gabe the other one comes from the other side it's quite clear you can see you know through the trees around them it's autumn or fall for our cousins across the pond and they could definitely see them especially Gabe. I'll give Rosita a pass because they're behind her, but Gabe can absolutely see those two walkers before they come into shot for us. So you've got to ask, how much of a liability is Father Gabe? <laughs> Let's not forget he is visually impaired and we ought not to shame those who are. He still has peripheral vision. It's just he probably has issues with depth. He still has one working eye, right? Well, yeah. if we have any viewers that have only got one eye, maybe you can confirm Damo's analysis or tear him to shreds on Twitter. All I'll say is one walker comes from the left, one walker comes from the right. Both are easy to spot. So even though Father Gabriel has issues with one eye, he should have still been able to see the other zombie. I mean, if I was alone in the woods with Rosita, I don't think I would have eyes for anyone else. So, <laughs> you know, but I take your point completely. There's a lovely line of quit bitching and move forward, which is Rosita's mantra to Father Gabriel, and he turns that back on her. She's just about to agree to have a rest, and we hear the noise of a train. Is that a train? That's a train. Can't be a train. How many times does Father Gabe say <laughs> about the train in this episode <laughs> do you have a better idea i'm all ears but nice <laughs> oh then we jump to carol and daryl who are scoping out said train the six guards there's some jeeps and bikes on the back of the train and they plan to follow it unnoticed but basically they want to find out where the kids are right and they believe lance has led them to believe the train is going to lead them to where the kids are mm -hmm. then they see that connie's been brought in Sorry. Uh, sorry for the beep. Uh, they see that Connie's been brought in and they hear over the radio that she's... Oh. So popular. Such a popular guy. Oh, it's a tough life. Yeah, designation two, which doesn't sound good, right? No, it doesn't. And I feel like she's been separated because of her journalism, right? Because she's considered a, a threat to Pamela is what I thought. I'm assuming, I mean, I thought designation two, I know I'm flogging a dead horse, like CRM, please. <laughs> Can it be the CRM? Can it be where all the dangerous people are taken? It's probably just another work camp, but who knows? 
Well, CRF may well have taken control of Alexandria. We'll come to that because that's a, a theory. It certainly looks possible based on the trailer for the next episode. Kind of a bit confusing for me anyway, but they, they're talking about the fact that if they try and rescue Connie, then they'll radio ahead and they, they'll never find the kids. So it's kind of trying to set this thing up of them either rescuing Connie or pursuing the train and getting the kids. Anyway, they decide they get ahead of it to a junction. Daryl can't sit tight. And Carol reminds him of the cave where she rushed in. And Kelly said, we can't save them if we're dead. And there's a nice little sweet moment as she takes his hand. She also says, we can play this however you want. But if we go this alone, we might end up making the same mistakes again. As this, she's talking about the cave business. My issue is where I call bullshit, where the train goes ahead of them and Carol says, oh, it's fine. We just have to get up ahead of them. And suddenly, magically, they're significantly, significantly up ahead of them. Yeah, there's some pretty hard maths going on there, isn't there, to work out the speed of the train, distance travelled, and how far ahead we need to be so that we can have these meaningful conversations before the train arrives. <laughs> we next see Maggie walking along the train tracks, and this really gave me memories of Terminus and and that whole season four arc where I think for half of season four they're following train tracks to Terminus and that was massive for Maggie obviously because she was separated from Glenn at the time and it was about their their reunion so it was a nice callback for that I thought but there's a bike trooper and we finally found someone who's good at hide and seek Maggie is she though or is he just really shit at seeking well she kills the trooper over the kid which, again, probably almost comes down to her love. Well, probably not just for Herschel, mostly for Herschel, but also for all the various kids. But then she chooses to kill the kid, Walker. Yeah, but she doesn't kill the guard. That's the guard that then gets brought over to be interrogated. She just stabs him under the arm. But yeah, you're right. She cuddles that kid and it reminded me of how she cuddled Alden. And how is it of all these people, Maggie is somehow able to cuddle a walker and not get bitten. She can cry. She can not look at it. She can bring it close to her. So it could suddenly lurch up and bite her. But it's okay because Maggie just has to have a little bit of a tear, maybe stroke the arm of said zombie and nothing bad happens. She has a spin-off. She's invincible. She's also got amazing biceps. I mean, have you seen those arms? I did think that Lauren Cohen was doing a brilliant job in this. It's a really believable breakdown, I think, that she's going through during all of this stuff. She was killing it. We hear an engine, and of course it's Daryl and Carol. And Maggie and Carol then get to have a heart-to-heart. She talks about not being strong enough, and she hates not knowing where he is and what's happened to him. One of my favourite episodes, and it's from a really bad season for me, but I think it was the one called No Way Out where Carol and Maggie escape from the saviours. It made me realise we haven't really had a proper good Maggie and Carol scene together and it made me miss that. Carol, she understands what Maggie's going through because she knows what it's like to have lost a child and it's such a great reminder of the fact that this friendship that's been forged from two women that are completely, they started out in completely different areas and completely different places in life. And I, I really loved this this scene in particular in this conversation. I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah, it's two people who are amazingly good at what they do. I thought it was a really lovely scene uh, between the two of them. Carol says, back then, we wouldn't have talked to each other talking about before the fall. And I wondered if there is a rumour 
don't know if any of you have heard this, that the two actors slash actresses do not get on in real life. <laughs> and there is a reason why we haven't seen them together in scenes for a very long time. And obviously we've had them recently in the last episode or two in group scenes, but we haven't had two-handers. And this two-hander that we have, they are both excellent. I wondered if there's any credence to this kind of, you know, behind the camera tension between the two. Maybe as the show's coming to an end, they've decided to bury the hatchet and and not in the back of a walker's head. (laughs) Thank you for laughing for me, Deno. (laughs) (laughs) she talks about life at the commonwealth doesn't she and that they didn't see anyone it was just like the old world and she also talks about the fact that look at how they they had to come after us when we were separated it goes back to judith's intro we are stronger together and then as if by magic we start to see more of them come together as gabe and rosita show up we get more cuddles and i don't know if you noticed but after maggie cuddles father gabriel he's definitely winded when did they come together? It's those biceps. <laughs> well, it does it but for talk, me. Talking about Father Gabe, what does he say? We had a train. Did you hear a train? Train, 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 train. <laughs> How has nobody heard that train before, though? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. It was lovely to see Glenn again, though, in Judy's opening monologue. I wonder if he'll turn up with Rick in the final episode. <laughs> he was hiding under a dumpstruck all the time. The reason that Daryl's not involved in these heart-to-hearts is that he's having his own one with the, the injured trooper, who's clearly not going to make it. He's begging him, please do something good. And he's trying to relate to him as well. He used to be a trooper because his family needed money. He was very much playing the good cop. And <laughs> it turned very, very quickly. I did really like the fact that we get to see a different side to the Stormtroopers in this episode, though. Uh, Much more human and great to see them just not there as cannon fodder, really. They have their own families, they have their own stories, and it was nice to see a bit of that in this one. And I think we all know that at some point, Mercer is going to become good. So if he's got these various troopers that are more sympathetic to life rather than the Commonwealth rule. Yeah, it's powerful, isn't it? You have these troopers, as you said, the one in this episode, particularly saying that he feels like he's done too much evil and will he go to to heaven or whatever kind of salvation he's after. And you've got to think that he is not an outlier in that army. So there are probably going to be quite a few stormtroopers who will definitely fight the good fight. Yeah, and it's Father Gabriel's conversation with the trooper. And this was one of my favourite moments of the episode. I really enjoyed this. And I think Father Gabriel, you know, this is one of his stronger moments as a character. We've criticised him in the past, but I think he comes good with this. He asks, does God forgive people like me? And Father Gabriel says, I don't know. But he talks about fear, bringing shame or pushing us into the light. And people remember the last thing you do, the end of each story is very important. Clang, clang, clang. (laughs) Well, Father Gabe's journey has been a really well done thing by the scriptwriters. I think a lot of us have all thought that he was a waste of space and he'll go very quickly, he'll be cannon fodder. But I I think his journey between person of the faith and then not and then again and 
all of that, I, I actually think has been really good. Everyone knows my views on Father Gabe. I would say, I think becoming a father has made a real man of him. The writers have decided they have got a storyline for him rather than he's a bit of a useless, lucky coward, much like Eugene. So, yeah, I agree. I think they've really, in the last couple of seasons, managed to give Seth something to get his teeth into. Yes, and in 11b as well, when God wasn't here anymore and he refused to pray with that reaper, and now all of a sudden is kind of the character arc that you're talking about, and he's praying now with this stormtrooper, and God seems to be back. Well, I think he's found his purpose, both as a man of the faith or man of the cloth, but also as a father, as a genuine father. Yeah, we, we learn from the trooper, from the conversation that Gabriel has with him, that their friends are working on the railway and they should follow the train to find them. And we learn about designation to the rumours that he's heard is that people are taken far away and never seen again. And then he asks Father Gabriel if he'll pray with him. And then the next thing we see is Father Gabriel walking away with a, a bloody knife. So he's prayed and then given him sweet release. I think Father Gabriel is pretty awesome now. He has this faith, but he's also prepared to do what needs to be done. He's also pretty cool with his false eye. I mean, as a big fan of both The Walking Dead and The House of the Dragon, I'm loving false eyes at the moment. So the next thing we get is the train heist scene. The train pulls up, there's a few walkers, trooper jumps down, gets rid of those, and tries to lift the junction switch, but it's jammed. The driver's on the radio to outpost 22, and Maggie holds him up. This is the part, right, where there was like lots of humour in the episode, right? The how hard can it be? Come over here and I'll show you. At all. I love that. This is actually my favourite part of the episode because it wasn't a great episode for me. I loved this. I love this kind of humour. And again, this reminded me of like Star Wars in a way, the kind of humour here. But I loved, yeah, loved this sequence. What did you think, Damo, about the similar humour to Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I really felt like I could get on board with it. It was out of this world. It was a galaxy far, far away, Damo. Oh, sorry. Save me, Daryl. You're my only hope. My issue with this was how shit are radios in the Commonwealth? Once again, well, it doesn't work. Now I know, of course, that they've knackered the radio and just being silly. But my big issue is, is the lack of firearms training these stormtroopers have. Because I thought that gunfire was ludicrous. I've got more on the gunfire. Don't worry about that. We've got some points issues to go over before we get there. In that Daryl kills a walker. So there's a point there for Mr. Damien Cooper. Um, Hello. I've got uh, four troopers and walkers written down. But anyway, there's a female trooper captured by Gabriel and Rosita in the woods. So some of the troopers have gone off. Daryl shoots another trooper. That's two more points for Damien. And then the gunfight by the train. So there's Carol on one side, Daryl on one, another side. Troopers firing at them, them firing at troopers. Now, at the beginning of this episode, there was gunfire that ripped through a truck and killed the driver of it. Connie is somewhere in that train. It must be an armoured truck because no one's really concerned about stray bullets hitting anybody who might be trapped inside the train. My understanding is that there is no issue because we just make up points willy-nilly. There's clearly Daryl kills a walker and then a troop. Definitely a clear three points there. I don't think anyone could argue with those. I think you don't need to worry about where Connie's being kept because she's been kept in a very special place called the jump scare where <laughs> she's just suddenly brought round the corner and, and held as a hostage. She's in a kind of liminal space. Well, she's got all her limbs. 
Yeah, they said there were six troopers. I was trying to count them all. I think Maggie kills another trooper. The sixth trooper has Connie. She fights him off. He gets away on a bike. And then we get Daryl's bike chase sequence. The trooper crashes and runs. Daryl then sweeps his leg with the bike and then pretty brutally kills him, I thought. Yeah, I mean, that shows that he's in love with my Connie. Uh, what I loved as well is she, he went to check if she's okay and then didn't even help her up. <laughs> she was just like straight away ran off to get this guy. But I was loving the hashtag team Donnie in this episode. And if I can't get a Rick Grimes reunion, then please can we make Donnie happen? I would like a kiss between <laughs> Daryl and Connie, please. We'll do our best. Well, Daryl's probably the most asexual of all the characters. I don't know, you know, because there was something about that conversation he has with Connie in the next scene where he says, you're back. And she says something like, I'm not going anywhere. And he gives this kind of, this little giggle. He kind of goes, <laughs> Yes. I've never even heard him laugh before. That's, that's so true. It was a little schoolboy giggle. So the only ones who survived this train heist, apart from obviously all of our characters, is the train driver. And we learn that his family lives in a nearby outpost, but there's a map of the train in the cabin. They can go and find that. And he's so scared him being punished that he kills himself. I mean, Carol offered a pretty good solution. She's like, we'll just beat you up a bit and you can say that we overpowered you. But he's that terrified of it all that he has to impale himself. And Ezekiel thought he had a sore neck. <laughs> yeah if you were that terrified that they were going to hurt your family or any harm was going to come to your family i think you would do that carol had just you know mentioned what kelly said right you know we, we can't help them if we're dead it's like i'd have taken carol's option of, of just yeah just beat me up a bit make it look convincing you know at least there's a chance that i'll be able to help them down the line as it were mm. train pun just flagging that in case none of you realized that that was a pun <laughs> Yeah. Don't worry, we're all aboard on the joke. Guys, can we just keep on the right track, please? <laughs> um, Let's branch off to some other storyline. We've got one last bit for this storyline. In the, They get back to the train. Rosita's posing as the lost train trooper contacting Outpost 22. She gets some directions. This is kind of happening at the same time as some other stuff. Maybe we should leave this until we've got to the through the other storyline. And then, and then deal with the end of the episode at the end. Should we do that? All right, rewind. Forget I said all of that, because we're going to talk about Ezekiel, Negan, and Kelly. Wait a second, I'm the one that does the Craig David jokes, not you. What, re rewind? <laughs> is that, I don't even know if that's Craig David, is it? <laughs> Just take comfort that good people will benefit from your labour. That's your exemption. Thanks, man. Yeah, our warden. We meet a new, a new sort of semi. He's not a major villain at all, but a minor rogue. Let's call him the warden of the work camp. Basically, I've been working on the railroad. <laughs> so that's who he is. Because I literally wrote down who is this guy because he doesn't have a name. But that was a really similar intro to what Negan used to say, right? 
Um, I'm sure when Negan met the main Alexandrian people, what I call them, the main group, that he says something really similar there. I think it's also interesting that he's not dressed as Stormtrooper, which means that he's either the higher stance as Mercer, who does dress, even though he's in red, as Stormtrooper, but is he actually from the Civic Republic? I think he's definitely part of the Commonwealth, but it's interesting that you pick up on on the name thing because obviously Negan's name was so powerful in the past. Everyone was Negan. You don't need a name because you're Negan. You're with me. But this guy's saying there are no names and therefore names have no power at all. Whereas for Negan, the name was all powerful and it gave power to those people who supported him. There's a really horrendous moment where Annie spots one of the trucks is missing and there's some horrible dialogue about Negan cleverly working out it must have been one of Gabriel, Maggie or Rosita. He clearly doesn't think Magna is up to much because she's also not in their truck, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't imagine that it could have possibly have been her. They separate the group. Some people get taken off the truck and Annie is one of those who's told to go. Negan makes a promise to get them out of there. He says, I'm going to get us out of here, all three of us. And then there's a little linger and then she steps off and you think, really, are you all going to make it out? Because I feel like there's a target right on you and it's probably around the womb area, Annie. I'm really sorry. Annie, are you OK? Are you OK, Annie? <laughs> but now, my prediction, I'm going to make it here. It's a big one. It's a big and bold one. We're not going to see Annie and Herschel again for the rest of The Walking Dead. They're going to be saved for the spin-off. And that's where Maggie and Negan will team up because they've got to go and rescue Annie and Herschel. They've been taken away and that's it. We're never going to see them again. Well, we've still got three more episodes left, Adam. Who knows what's going to happen? You're right. I'm just predicting that that's what that's. This is setting up the spin-off. That, that was my thoughts. The next scene we catch these guys in is them working on the railroad all the live long day. And Kelly's looking for a way. Thank you, man. I might sing it again later. Kelly says, <laughs> there's only three guards and we can make a run for it. And Zekiel's trying to sort of quash this, isn't he? He's like, not up for it. Negan tries chatting to one of the guards and gets a whack for it. And then three people try and run away and get mown down. And Ezekiel stops Kelly from joining them. Yeah, now they can shoot. <laughs> I guess that's where you have them though, right? If you're going to have your better guys, maybe you need to have them in the work camp. The trouble with those three was that they didn't have plot force fields around them to stop the bullets from getting in. Okay, let's talk about the next scene we see these guys in where they're being fed, basically. But the slop that they're given, I mean, this is the most watered down gruel I don't think I've ever seen in the history of TV or film anyone be given such a poor meal. I don't know. I've watched Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. There is absolutely no chance anyone is asking for more. Anyway, Negan approaches and we get this conversation between Negan and Ezekiel. And to be fair, I can't remember the two of them ever really being in a, in a scene together since All Out War. And, and, and Zeke talks about the fact that he stayed away on purpose. Negan tells me he needs to shelve that shit. I probably do deserve to be in a place like this, but my wife and kid don't. Yeah, I also thought it was really interesting bringing those characters together. And that was one of the good things I liked about this episode, because to bring two characters together that are so different and uh, such odds, but they work together 
and that's another positive message. Absolutely. Two different leaders completely. One that's always been very much about humanity and doing the right thing and then one on the complete polar end of that. But I I love this conversation as well. And it sounded very much like Negan was going to sacrifice himself is what I got away from that conversation. Yeah, the talk is around, we don't need my sort of leadership, we need yours, we need hope, we need to inspire these people and there needs to be a spark and I'll provide that spark, but then you've got to do your, what you do and inspire the people to to follow you. That's that's generally the gist of it without going into too much of the dialogue. But I, I feel like it's setting Ezekiel up for some sort of brave heart moment. I thought Ezekiel is due to be gonna I think they're gonna kill a load of characters off in the next three episodes. Ezekiel is one of those characters who's kind of living on borrowed time because in a spoiler for the book, but he has departed this world long before this moment in the storyline. So yeah, he is one of those characters where you think, well, he he kind of go at any time. And also we know the the spin-off between Dowell and Cowell. Certainly we know that Cowell's not going to be involved. So there's every chance she could make a huge emotional death for us all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, wouldn't that be really be a huge wrench, I think? The conversation between Negan and Ezekiel ends with Negan asking, are you with me? And Ezekiel saying, for now. And then the end of the episode is, as we alluded to a little bit earlier, Rosita is posing as the lost train trooper, contacting Outpost 22, and she's getting directions from them. As we see Negan and Zeke's truck driving along, and she starts describing something that sounds a little bit like Alexandria. And I thought it was just a really, really brilliant reveal as it kind of happened this sort of conversation that rosita was having with the truck going in a very very chatty kathy on the radio kind of giving us lots of juicy information about where they were going and the history of it all she was very very chatty she had a lot of information i think she should be fired but yes back to their home turf bad move commonwealth i think well, in fairness, we already knew the the Commonwealth um, had taken over Alexandria's Outpost 22. So it wasn't new information for us as viewers, but you're right. Very loose tongue, which I like. <laughs> we hear that basically the, the final lines we're talking about are Milton has underestimated us since day one. We're going to get our kids, take back our home and make it right. Pamela's never going to see it coming. So we've got a hardcore group, Daryl, Carol, Maggie, Gabe, Rosita. Surely Pamela is going to die before the end of this series. It's just a question of which episode. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like she's just going to get someone to help her and call on someone, the CRM or someone, get out of there. But yeah, in, to quote Rick Grimes, they are definitely fucking with the wrong people. And I think next episode, they're going to find out who they're messing with. So what about the sweepstake, Adam? Yes, speaking of deaths, um, the only person to score this week was Mr. Damien Cooper. I think we we talked about two trooper deaths, or two trooper kills, one walker kill, so five points in total. And that makes the scores. Chloe and Neil on 12 points each, Damien on 23 points, and me on 25 points. So it's very, very close. I predicted Annie. She's clearly very okay. She's far too okay. 
I think she's got spin-off armor now, you know. Let's get into our predictions for episode 22. And Chloe, you to go first for Faith. Yes. So Killer Negan, first death, Elijah. This is tough. I've had to do a little bit of Googling to make sure I had the correct name for my death. So the killer is obviously Dazza, Big D. I can't not pick Daryl. My death is the Warden, a.k.a. Mr. No Name. He doesn't have a name. We have previously said that the that, that characters have to have a name, but given the fact that he made such a big deal about the fact that he doesn't use names, I think we can allow it. We know what I'm talking about. The guy is obviously a big, bad dude. <laughs> it had a significant amount of dialogue, so I think he's he's valid as a character to predict. So we'll, we'll allow it, Damo. Well, for my um, death, I'm, I'm going to predict Stormtrooper 1020. <laughs> he doesn't have a name, and you won't know who he is, but when you see a Stormtrooper die, you will know that I get points. If Stormtrooper 1020 appears in the credits of the next episode and he dies, we'll give you the points, Neil. So my predictions are Death Annie, that surely has to come, and Killer Zeke. So I'm going to go for a double whammy, both Killer and Death, Lydia. A blazer Good glory. choice. Really good choice, because that was very close to my first death. And then it's back to me, right, for my second death. Okay, so I'll go... Connie. I just don't know how he survives the next episode. I think it's Zeke. I mean, there has to be some bullshit. Someone has to go, right? Someone surely has to die in that work camp. And my money is, like you said, that Braveheart speech that sees Zeke made an example of. Neil? Okay, so my second death would be Rosita. It's in all the fandom theories, and we know that at one point she's climbing away from walkers. I'm going to go for the next episode for that to happen. Okay, well, Damien's breathing down my neck, so I'm going big with my final prediction, and I'm going for Pamela. I think shit is going to go down after that Eugene trial, and something big is going to happen. Pamela Milton to die. She has to go next episode. You're absolutely right, Adam. I think she is going to go soon. I was very torn about whether to predict her as a death. But we've only got two more episodes to go after the next one. And surely the whole kind of Civic Republic military storyline needs to finish it off and also set up the spin-offs. There is a lot to fit in. And it's been following a formula so far. Episode 18, someone died. 19, no one died. 20, someone died. 21, no one died. So hopefully, yes, next episode, you'd think we're into some deaths, please. Yeah, I don't think Pam dies next episode. I have a feeling Pam is going to die at the end of the penultimate episode or at the very beginning of the last episode. Or very beginning of the last episode. I mean, they've got to set set up the spin-offs. Unless she is part of the spin-offs, who knows what they'll do with that character. I'm not bloodthirsty, but I really hope there's a lot of deaths to come up just to tie up stories or maybe they find a safe place to live. Yeah, well, judging by the trailer for the next episode, I think we are going to see a lot of storylines progressed at the very least. Any thoughts you have about the series so far, you can contact us at TVDNAPod on the social media 
or you can email tvdnapod at gmail.com. Let's talk about what else we've been watching. For once, I've been watching loads, so I'm going to really rifle through this. The Finnish Barbarians on Netflix, the German uh, show. Absolutely amazing. High recommendation from me. I started watching Series 3 of Atlanta, the Donald Glover show, which has been quite good. I finally and have completed, Chloe, watching Am I Being Unreasonable? And then lots of other stuff. But what I would say quickly was I watched the All Quiet in the Western Front, another German film, the new Netflix First World War epic. Gorgeous, beautiful, but absolutely hellish, as you can imagine, from trench warfare. That's it for now. (laughs) Did you like Am I Being Unreasonable? So I thought it was really good up until the last episode. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like... I felt like the credulity of it was pushed a little bit too far. I liked the twist at the end. Mm -hmm. That was nice. And it helped excuse some of the stuff that happened in the final episode. But all in all, I'd say it's very good. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I had issues with the last episode, but more for the fact that I feel it was setting up a second series. And I would have wished they would have just kind of tied it all up together. But I, I really enjoyed that series. I thought it was really different, different structure. And I liked all the performances in it. So I've been recommending that to people. I second that recommendation. I'm a bit late to the party, but over the last week, I've been catching up on This England. It's... A relatively recent BCI player production. Kenneth Branagh is just amazing as Boris Johnson. He he really is. His performance is fantastic. Lost prosthetics, but he is absolutely fantastic in it. It's a kind of commentary on COVID, and it makes him as a person, which some people might not like quite humane in the performance i found it a little bit therapeutic to relive because i went through various issues or mental health issues during the pandemic which i know a lot of other people did whether people they loved died or whether they had their own issues during that but the focus is on all the various issues from care homes. I found that quite stressing and what the NHS go through. I've only watched half of it, so I cannot comment on the last couple of episodes. But don't worry about any spoilers because I know what our country has gone through since. Rana was just absolutely amazing in it. Yeah, I, I had to stop watching it after the first episode, but I, I'm glad you watched a bit more. I think he does do a really good performance. It's just, it just was a bit too soon for me. I would also say, is it too soon to put a TV series together about a period so recent that so many people struggled through? If, if that's what you meant, Adam, I completely agree with you. I certainly had times where I was struggling to watch it. Certainly, at least, it was bringing back memories that weren't pleasant. How about you, Chloe? I have started watching Cabinet of Curiosities from your recommendation, Adam. So I'm really enjoying the short story aspect of that, and it reminds me a little bit of 
Grill Dahl's Tales of the Unexpected, where you have Grillmo del Toro kind of coming out at the beginning and doing a little bit of an introduction about everything. The stories themselves, I don't know, I'm not into much supernatural things, so the stories themselves may be... I'm kind of wanting a bit more. It reminds me of American Horror Stories, the shorter anthology ones, which some episodes are really great. And then, so it's a bit hit and miss, but I'm enjoying the actual horror of it, the production of it, and the fact that if I just want to spend 20 minutes and delve into horror, it's like the perfect show for that. So I'm about three episodes in. I'm enjoying it so far. Well, I've just finished watching The Outlaws, the second series of that now. That's the Stephen Merchant BBC comedy Brassic on Now TV has just finished its third season. I really love that. And that's been another really good TV series. I think that's about me done. I'm still on Midnight Club. I'm being very slow with my TV watchers at the moment. I'm really loving Cabinet Curiosities. You're you're one episode ahead of me. Okay. Um, but Tim Blake Nelson in episode one and David Hewlett in episode two are outstanding. It's so beautifully shot and gruesome and chilling storytelling i find it really interesting the two episodes i've watched so far both protagonists have been down on their luck kind of lower classes people mm-hmm. it's an anthology series and i'm i'm loving that sort of short storytelling format of it all there's a hint of a through line already i think from the first couple of episodes i'm curious to see whether that continues it and does around... into the third episode at least i can it tell does. you that much yeah excellent I think this is the year of anthology series because we've had already Raw on Apple TV, Love, Death and Robots, Tales of the Walking Dead, which we've not had in this country, but it's been out in the States and Inside Number Nine. But there's another one, Tales of the Jedi, which I've watched the first episode of and have thoroughly enjoyed. I've also started watching The Bastard Son of the Devil Himself, which is on Netflix. This is the story of witches and there are two types of witches blood witches and fairborn witches there's a particularly terrifying scene early on in the classroom but the most terrifying thing is the fact that they're covering differential equations but it's it's fascinating the the lead is a the one issue i guess i have is the lead is a mixed race kid and it suggests that the devil is black because we see the deceased mother who is white And it doesn't help that we don't meet another non-white witch until about half an hour into the first episode. But at the same time, it kind of helps to explain the otherness that's felt by Nathan, who is the lead character in this. The first two episodes, there's lots of exposition and law building, but a really exciting end to the first one and some dark moments in the second episode. So I'm I'm going to keep watching it. It's a young adult show Mm -hmm. and therefore it comes with that stuff and the midnight club is also a ya show now i've finished the midnight club and all in all i think there's genuinely terrifying moments in it it does get a bit morbid which you'd expect from a show which deals with terminally ill teenagers and there's definitely slow moments within the series but i think it's a great concept really really good cast there's intrigue throughout so yeah i i would definitely stick with it i'd be interested to hear what you think about it at the end of the series yeah i'm glad you think it's worth sticking with because i am probably at those slow points at the moment so i'm just it, that's why i kind of like cabinet of curiosity so much because it's very quick <laughs> i will stick with it i hate giving up on things and the other show that i've finished is the watcher 
Now, lots of people told me it starts out as one thing and then becomes something else. They just didn't tell me how frustratingly disappointing the ending of the show is. Uh, it's a great concept. Again, a great cast and lots of intrigue. It just doesn't satisfy in the final reckoning, I think. So for, for me, The Watcher is a good show. It's not a great show. What's your thoughts, Adam, about, I mean, I haven't watched Watcher, but what's your thoughts about the cast change? The cast? I don't know about the cast change. I see what's happened here. You're Neil. You're talking about the Witcher. Adam is talking about the Watcher. The Witcher <laughs> indeed has a new cast change. The charisma vacuum that is Henry Cavill. Carvel. He's being replaced by one of those Aussie Hemsworths, right? Uh, Liam, I believe. Yes, Liam Hemsworth. Absolutely. Basically, I'm always up for a Hemsworth. Let's wait and see what happens with that show. The final show I, I did want to talk about that I watched is Peripheral. I mentioned it before, but I hadn't mentioned how stunningly beautiful the kind of painted slash digital opening credits are. We get this future London with these huge giant statues. The thing I want to say is that this show takes place partly in America and partly in London. And the London actors, I think, really, really struggle with the sci-fi dialogue in a way that the Americans don't. I think Brits are much more suited to the fantasy stuff of House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings and that sort of stuff, whereas the Americans are much more suited to sci-fi. Agree or disagree? <laughs> I mean, I would love to be in a sci-fi show. I feel like that's such my casting and I've never got to be in one. So I would maybe ag agree until I get a part in one. <laughs> I'd like to disagree. I'd like to think that UK actors could do it because that's on my bucket list. I agree. I, I, my question is, Adam, when did you stop backing Britain? <laughs> why, why do you hate the UK? It's only when it comes to sci-fi shows and their inability to deliver that dialogue, which is tough, is tricky, right? Yeah. It's tough because it's it's so alien, for want of a better word. A word. A world. I love that. Yeah. World <laughs> a word. It's just something I've observed. And Chloe... I reckon mm -hmm. you totally fucking nail the sci-fi dialogue. I, I've you. worked with you as an actor and I have no doubts that you could nail that. But I've just found watching sci-fi that sometimes the Brits struggle a little bit. Maybe they're just not quite so committed to it. Mm -hmm. But I'm thoroughly enjoying Peripheral and I recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. Worth a watch. Did you carry on watching Industry? Yes, I have carried on watching Industry. I'm in now the second season, and I've just heard that it has been renewed for a third season. Mm -hmm. I'm enjoying it. It is banker porn. Yeah, someone described it as bridging the gap between euphoria and succession, and I thought that was a really good comparison, actually, because it just kind of has aspects of both. The second series isn't as porny, I would say. There's a few sh shows coming up that I wanted to mention very quickly so the crown season five we've talked about before is coming out on the 9th of november it's a whole new cast they tend to do it in two season arcs so we've got imelda staunton playing the queen leslie manville jonathan price elizabeth debicki as princess diana dominic west as prince charles olivia williams johnny lee miller as john major this is the one I can't quite get my head around, but also Bertie Carvel as 
Tony Blair and Lydia Leonard as Cherie Blair. Any thoughts on The Crown? I love The Crown anyway, but their trailer has made me re-question some of the casting choices because they they come across so well in the trailer. Yeah, it's Johnny Lee Miller. He just feels like he's too attractive to be John Major. But... <laughs> Okay, I'm going to share a story now. So I've met John Major in public about three or four times. Uh, I say in public, actually, no, in in person. Um, They weren't dates, I promise you. So the one that particularly sticks in my mind is when, after he was Prime Minister, he was the chairman of Surrey County Cricket Club. And we had a fundraising dinner which was done very, I guess, secretly in the sense that it was only me that was allowed in the room during while they were eating. And I wasn't allowed to be in the room with the conversations afterwards. But there was Richard Branson there, there was John Paul Getty, there was Tim Rice, there was a whole load of people that were going to put a lot of money into the new stand, which... Anyone who's a fan will know this is well over 10 years ago. But he told a joke that I think it was Tim Rice or Richard Branson, but they asked him, do you still keep in touch with the various other leaders? And he said, yeah, actually, me and my wife stayed with Mikhail Gorbachev and Raisa about a month ago because we do stay friends, we get on very well. And at that point, neither of them were heads of state. And Mikhail Gorbachev told a joke. And remember, I'm hearing John Major telling this joke that Mikhail Gorbachev told him. The joke was there was three Russians and they were queuing for bread. And the the kind of word on the street was it's going to be at least another five hours before you can get any bread. So one of the three Russians left saying, that's it, I'm going to assassinate Mikhail Gorbachev. So he left and then an hour later he came back and they said, oh, so did you did you assassinate Mikhail Gorbachev? And he said, no, the queue to assassinate Mikhail Gorbachev was longer than the queue for bread. <laughs> and it's, it's a funny joke in its own right. But when you hear John Major say that Mikhail Gorbachev had told him this joke, there's all sorts of meta going on there. <laughs> and yeah, it's just mind-blowing. Wow, what a room to be in, huh? I can't remember which channel. I'm pretty sure it's BBC, but it might be Sky. But there is a sort of, I guess, biography or uh, Maggie Smith that's found at the moment. And it's called The Marvellous Maggie Smith. Depending on your generation, you will either love Maggie Smith for the prime of Miss Jean Borodie or from uh, Professor McGonagall in Harry Potter, or from the Dowager in Downtown Abbey. She is just an absolute star of our times. I've seen her on stage. I've seen some of her TV performances. She's absolutely amazing. And she's one of these performers that 
it does not court celebrity. She likes her privacy. And I've also avoided celebrity in the twists I've made in my industry. But if I were accidentally to end up in her position, I would make very similar choices to her. Her first Oscar was for the Prime Minister Brody. Very unusual for a female lead at that point and to win an Oscar. But may you know, I think that has changed. She is so good with her, I guess, barbed one-liners. She's very sharp. She's very witty. And I aspire to be as sharp and witty as she is. I love the fact that Julie Andrews took her under her wing. Another performer that I don't think is recognised as much these days, but is absolutely amazing, whether it's Victor Victoria or Mary Poppins. And it's iconic that in California Suite, which is one of the very early films, she played an actress that doesn't get an Oscar, and yet her herself got an Oscar. And if you don't recognise any of the other films I've mentioned, Sister Act, she's awesome in that. She is. I'm a big fan of Maggie Smith. I didn't know there was a documentary about her, so I will definitely give that a go. Another one of my favourite actresses, Dame Julie Andrews, so tick, tick. I'm very much looking forward to watching Downtown Abbey. (laughs) Well, the good thing about it is no matter how you feel, or you can forget all your problems when you go Downtown Abbey. You're looking forward to watching Downtown Abbey, Adam. At what age are you expecting to do that? I've seen Downton Abbey, but Downtown Abbey, I think it's a totally different show. I, I, I would pay money to watch Downtown Abbey. It makes me think of the, the Little Shop of Horrors and the Downtown song. <laughs> Go Downtown Abbey. now before we go i wanted to quickly talk about what i haven't been able to watch now i haven't been able to watch sas rogue heroes uh, which features connor swindells from sex education who's wonderful and also the devil's hour on amazon prime so if any of our listeners have watched either of those shows and i've got recommendations i would love to hear them the other thing i haven't been able to watch is the white lotus which came out today but my Now TV's been playing up, so I haven't been able to access it. I had time today that I'd set aside to watch it, and Now TV's been bugging me because it clearly has some bugs. So I'm able to watch it yet. But we are, I can reveal now, Mr. Damien Cooper and Grace Chapman of this parish are going to be covering The White Lotus in future episodes of TV DNA. I am really looking forward to the SAS programme, um, not just for Connor Swindell. He is absolutely awesome and a huge favourite, not just for sex education, but also for Vigil. He's awesome in that. Uh, I mean, he, he's just a great actor. But we've also got um, Dominic West, and I saw a whole load of other actors that I actually love their performances in other stuff that I, I, I can't wait to watch that. Who's got a good sign-off for this episode? Well, today is the first day of a new beginning. The end of each story is very important. How do you want yours to end? With major character deaths! <laughs> <laughs> points, points, points! <laughs>
Well, we've still got two episodes left, Adam. Who knows what's going to happen? There's three more after this one. Well, we've still got three more episodes left, Adam. Who knows what's going to happen? Don't know if any of you are cricket flat. I'm a cricket flan, yeah. Yeah, you look like a flan. <laughs> <laughs>